Hey, this is Will Downing, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with your host Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchert. Weekly music news for the new music business. For the Los Angeles Times, the 2022 Grammy nominations are filled with snubs and surprises. From Mashable, Spotify dropped Auto Shuffle from Adele 30. Now it's doing it for all artists. From chart metric, from playlists to mailing lists with Aileen Crowley. From Billboard, UK proposes a law demanding record labels pay artists more for streams. And from Symphonic, how to support your music career with YouTube. Yes, this is the post-Thanksgiving episode number 68 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Buckle in, because here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, good morning, Jay. It is... As I mentioned, <sighs> post Thanksgiving, yeah. we're kind of chilling on a long weekend, and yeah. I overate. I'll be honest. Uh, no judge would jury would convict you. Um, I did. <laughs> I did as well, and it was it was wonderful. And frankly, we we have a lot to be thankful for. Absolutely, many many blessings, and it's important to. Uh, to be uh, reminded of that uh, once yep. a year and all the time. So it was uh, it was lovely, and I am chilling, and I'm going to try to not eat so much today, even though our refrigerator is filled with leftovers. And uh, mm, But so I have that, that, that feeling of that, oh, God, I'm just full. I, it, I, I, <laughs> I have made it to the gym every day at least, so I'm trying to kind of balance the, the gluttony yeah. with doing a little bit of exercise. Yeah, but I don't know who said it, but, you know, everything in moderation, including moderation... So that's right. Yeah, don't beat your don't beat moderation yourself up too much. of moderation. Yeah. There, you go. there you go. Well, it's always a pleasure to see Jay Great and, see and you, do the friend. podcasts. And without yeah. uh, our sponsors, Jay and I couldn't even do this. And so we are. It, it's important to give thanks to the wonderful folks that help us put the show on, including including TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist album and song ID 
IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization, discovery and search APIs, purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. If you want to learn mm-hmm. more, jump over to TiVo.com slash music. And boy, great stuff they're doing over at TiVo. Love TiVo Music Metadata. Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform. Makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website, everything is built right in. Hosting and custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days, just use a promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, Morning Coffee, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister music, sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And speaking of Bands in Town, over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, indeed. So big thanks to TiVo Music Metadata, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town. Wonderful group of folks that uh, really help us uh, make this show happen. And by the way, in case you don't know, my brother here, Jay Gilbert, he's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups, and of course, a wonderful photographer. And uh, (laughs) I am thankful to do this with him every weekend. Uh, The pleasure is all mine, my friend. Uh, This guy uh, sitting across from me literally, uh, is my brother from another mother, Mike Etchart, uh, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Lots of yes, stuff indeed. there. Yes, indeed. Lots of stuff there. So, Jay, let us jump into the show. Uh, yes. It's, first of all, it's <clears throat> we're jumping into Grammy season. Yes, we are. And it's the nominations have come out in case you didn't know or weren't paying attention uh, over the last week. And this article from the Los Angeles Times, the 2022 Grammy, nom- Grammy nominations are filled with snubs and surprises. This is by Randall <laughs> Roberts, uh, staff yes, writer sir. over at the Times. Wonderful. Ch- I actually don't know Randall, but I read his stuff all the time because my yeah. the Los Angeles Times is my home newspaper. And I still get the L.A. Times. Mine too. Delivered. I, I I want that paper, so I see. Get the I paper. only do that on Sunday. I do right. the digital thing on the weekdays, mm-hmm. so I can just kind of scan through it um, on any device. But Sunday, I need to grab the coffee and 
have that tactile experience. Yeah, I like it every day. So right, good so for you. That's cool. Let's That's jump in. Cool. As he starts with, he says, the Grammy Awards so aren't well fair. Neither is life. Chaos <laughs> rules. Snubs will happen. And who's to say where to lay blame? Uh, with the Recording Academy's 11,000 plus voters, a mysterious lot whose membership mm. lacks transparency, failed really? PR campaigns, God, all of the above. And then they jump into the conspiratorial wow. idea. Two words. The weekend. His yeah. glaring omission from last year's nominations yeah. rankled both the artist and nearly everyone who pays attention to the Grammys. Leading to the uh, uh, abolition of the so-called secret committees that would overrule the voting block. So... No weekend. Uh, like such a conspiracy. It does, doesn't it? Um, but anyway, interesting. Interesting to see. Uh, you know who was who was no who was nominated, who was not. Uh, any surprises yeah. that you that kind of jumped out at you? Well, yeah. There's a couple, and and we'll there. Let's dig into them. But before we do, I, all transparency. I am uh, a voting member of the Recording Academy. Um, I don't think it's as secretive and nefarious as people think it is. Um, are they going to publish a list of all of the voting members? No, because then you would get a lot of, you know, for your consideration, you'd be getting a lot of um, spam and people would try to, you know, bake you cookies or something to get you to vote for their <laughs> artists. But um, this this article is is really great. And we talk about these things every year. Um, about who wasn't nominated and why and or they weren't in the right category and that sort of things. But Randall Roberts, uh, who you pointed out, uh, wrote this. He he pulled out some things that people are talking about. And the first one is uh, John Baptiste. John Baptiste um, scored uh, 11 nominations. And, you know, he says that he's best known for being the band leader of CBS's The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Um, but... The, the part that I want to point out is he says, but straight talk, he's hardly torn up the pop charts or the critics lists. The versatile album for which he's nominated, it's called We Are, peaked at number 86 on the, on the Billboard 200 and dropped off the next week. Um, it says that Freedom, uh, the track, which was nominated for Record of the Year, has a paltry 5 million spins on Spotify, and he points out that uh, Olivia Rodrigo, you know, driver's license surpassed one billion. Well, first of all, it's you know you don't compare an adult uh, jazz artist or you know other genres to uh, Olivia Rodrigo, and most of what uh, he points out in this article, I agree with a hundred percent. But this one, I I just looked into MRC, which is you know what they formerly used to call known sound. as yeah formerly known as SoundScan, right. And um, before I point out the numbers, you'll notice that they do this thing called um, SEA and TEA. Uh, TEA is track equivalent album. So even though albums uh, downloads aren't really much of a thing anymore, if you had 10 song downloads, that would count as a track equivalent album. It would count mm -hmm. as one album sold. Now on the streaming side, it's, it's a little bit uh, more convoluted. They call it streaming equivalent albums. And there's two tiers. The first tier is paid. The second one is ad supported. So one's worth more than the other, right? So mm -hmm. uh, tier one, paid subscription audio streams, that equates to about 1,250 streams to one album unit. Now on the ad supported, um, you need 3,750 streams. Um, so, uh, you know three times as much <laughs> yeah. to get to one album, which brings us to John Batiste. 
the We Are LP, uh, if you account that TEA and SEA that I just mentioned, um, he's sold 51,000 albums so far, and that's not nothing. And 25,000 are physical, which in, in adult music, they do you know, over-index yeah. on physical. Sure. 9,000 digital albums. That's incredibly high. You, know, you don't see that uh, too much. But get this, 33 million streams. So not no. nothing. So yeah. I think that John Batiste is, uh, he has a little bit better success than maybe this article would uh, let you think. Um, but I, I do understand his point is that, you know, he's on the late show with Stephen Colbert, his name's out there, it's recognition. And I can tell you as a voter, you know, that doesn't really weigh heavily for me. Mm-hmm. It's something you and I talked about before we hit record. It's really more about the quality of the music, not, not necessarily the artist or even sales streams and downloads. And yeah, no, absolutely. so I, I think that's where most voters uh, vote. You know, it says that Batiste's uh, work was nominated for traditional R&B performance, R&B album, improvised jazz solo, jazz instrumental album, and so on and so on. So it's a great it, album, too. I mean, it really is a yeah. great record. And it's very, you know, it's it's very diverse and it's a fun record. And if you like, you know, it's it's he's he's from New Orleans and, and it is uh, it is good gumbo like you know there's just so many different strains yeah. of things going on there and you know we also talked about this it's like well who cares how many streams and downloads it's like was the record a good record this is not about about the biggest selling artists that's that's a different thing altogether with that but this is about that's right what what are what are what are remarkable records what are remarkable albums and songs and that's how right do we and- how do we note that Note that. And let me just clarify that those numbers I gave you are U.S. numbers. Yes. Um, worldwide, I can look up tracks, and that track freedom that he talks about worldwide is streamed over 14 million. So if you are talking about sales streams and downloads, this did a little bit better than maybe people would think coming away from this article. Well, and one of the things he mentions, what's really interesting, is is an artist by the name of I think it's pronounced Aruj Aftab. Right. Uh, nabs a Best New Artist nomination. Uh, it says among the 10 Best New Artist nominations are pop star, of course, Olivia Rodrigo, rapper uh, Saweetie, producer-songwriter Phineas, who, of course, is mm. Billie Eilish's brother, blah, 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 blah. But here is an artist um, uh, who uh, that it says up until Tuesday morning, the 36-year-old Brooklyn-based singer and composer's most prominent appearance was on Barack Obama's summer playlist. She's never performed on network television and issued her 2021 album Vulture Prints, not through a major label, but uh, on the New York experimental label New Amsterdam. She's born and yeah. raised in Saudi Arabia and Pakistan. Uh, she's the the record is so interesting. She is singing in in Urdu. And she's actually trained at the Berkeley College of Music, but it's a super interesting, it's a really eclectic, you know, record. And and she has hardly had any sales, um, but it's very interesting yeah. music. And I really love that she got the nod for Best New Artist, yeah. you know, and I don't think she has much of a chance of winning. But it's, again, it's not about, about sales streams and downloads. It's about... Right you know, important musical contributions. Well, I can tell you, you know, when I go in to vote, they have it set up so nice, uh, so Mm -hmm. nicely that I can just click a button and listen to these things, which is, which is super great. So I think a lot of people are just going to go through those nominations because 
we, there's no way that every one of those 11,000 people that vote is going to be familiar with every single song and every single category. So they make it easy for you to, to listen. And I think, uh, she, she's got a shot because she's yes. one of the finalists now and she's one that people will actually listen to. So kudos to the recording Academy. And, and if you follow, if you look at the article that's, that's linked in, in, um, in the newsletter, uh, there is a, a video of her playing uh, live up on KEXP, and it's it's really lovely, very interesting. Yeah. It's to, it, her singing and a guitarist and a harpist, and yeah. very cool stuff. I'd heard the track yeah. actually on the radio, and uh, I really that's the way it, it should be, right? I mean, it should be that anyone, regardless of if you sold two hundred uh, units or two hundred million, it should be based on the quality of the music, not stats. Right, 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 right. Now, interesting too. Justin Bieber, uh, as they say, as they, as he points out in the article, is many things, but he's seldom been accepted by the Recording Academy's old guard as an artist worthy of consideration. In all caps, or not in all caps, but capitalized. Uh, although this year he got eight nominations, yeah. uh, and apparently he is so. He's got uh, his work. His work appears in three of the four major categories: Record of the Year, Song of the Year for Peaches, and Album of the Year for Justice. Triple Chuck's Deluxe. Uh, he also landed Pop Solo Performance for Anyone, Pop Dual Group Performance with Benny Blanco for Lonely, which which I must admit I really like that song, as well as yeah. uh, Pop Vocal Album R B Performance and Music Video. So the Beebs, I know you're feeling better about that. He, he's he's. Uh, He's been, hey, it can't uh, be a, you know, just because somebody, you know, rubs you the wrong way. Again, it's got to be on the quality of the music. Um, we're going to talk about uh, BTS in a minute, and that's been something similar to uh, to the Justin Bieber thing. But the one that I thought was really interesting was, uh, it says, country music, question mark, maybe next year, right? Yeah. <laughs> With each of the four major categories generating 10 nominations, 40 of the slots were in play this year. But of those, only one really true country artist, Jimmy Allen, uh, earned a major nod. It says that voters slammed the stable doors on established <laughs> stars like Casey Musgraves and Chris Stapleton and Mickey Guyton um, and, and others. So... You know, again, it, just because, uh, you know, you may not be a fan of country music per se, I, I think you can recognize when there is a, an amazing song that's written or amazing performance. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't, no matter what genre you happen to love, I think most of the uh, Academy members that I know are pretty open-minded to genres, moods, bands, and, and do vote on the merit of it. But, you know, as we're about to point out, just uh, kind of like Justin Bieber, BTS. Comes up short again. As he says, apparently 50 billion BTS fans can't be wrong. Can be wrong. More, that's, or can be wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> or, that's right. or at least more of them need to infiltrate the Recording Academy. Despite the group's worldwide dominance, the K-pop phenoms earn just one nomination in pop duo group performance category for Butter. And then, interestingly enough, as he says, Swifties are not going to be happy. Hard to feel sorry for Taylor Swift right now. Of course, she's had a hell of a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then he says, still, a tiny violin doesn't take up much space. So let's bust it out to acknowledge that despite all this acclaim, <laughs> Taylor Swift received only one nomination this year. Her soft pandemic comforter, a comforter, yes, Evermore is among the album of the year contenders, but that's it. And he, as he says, still, she can rest easily knowing that, like perhaps only Beyonce, her very absence is a kind of presence. 
(laughs) (laughs) I love this so much because Randall Roberts, who wrote this, reminds me a bit of some other writers, um, like Chris Castle and and yes. people who add a little humor and a little snark and some creativity yeah. to their writing. I really enjoyed reading this piece. So uh, kudos to Randall Roberts over at the LA Times. That was really well done. Yep. And let's sit back. And when is it even saying here, when is the the, the actual award ceremony this year? It's, some, it's in February sometime, isn't it? Um, I don't see it listed, actually. So... Here we are. So the, so the nominations happen, and now we wait for the actual awards ceremony. And I, I got to say, I think we talked about this, last year's Gra- Grammy ceremony I thought was the best ever because they had to be creative and do it in a way during for the pandemic. And it was awesome. The performances were great. The setup was great. And I, and I hope they, they take that this year, elements of that, into the, to the actual broadcast again because it was yeah, fantastic. That, we talked about it after the broadcast. Um it was phenomenal. I mean, not just that they did it during a pandemic and it was kind of in the round and the artists could actually, you could see them reacting to other artists' performances. I just thought it was just brilliantly executed and probably one of my favorite Grammy Awards shows ever. By the way, the, this, the Grammys uh, ceremony is January 31st. Ah, January 31st. There you go. Yes. Okay, duly noted. All right, let's jump up. Uh, a Mashable article. Uh, Spotify dropped auto shuffle for Adele's 30. Now it's doing that for all artists. They should have mm-hmm. an asterisk by that. Sort yes. of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because sort of. they're really not doing that across the board. They're doing that for the paid tier. And just to give you a little, um, a little uh, context. Spotify has 356 million MAUs, monthly active users. Um, of that 356 million, over 220 million are ad-supported, mm-hmm. right? So those folks will still have um, that feature um, thrust upon them, whereas the premium subscribers, which is 158 million, um, they will not. Yeah, this was almost kind of a, a no-story story. Um <laughs> Because it was okay, I was. Uh, but Adele, boy, she—it's amazing the power that she has, isn't it? And and the, the right. platform she is, she is such a. Um, and have you have you spent time with the, the album? I I'm not yes. loving the album to be honest. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, my group of friends, you know, they're not super impressed with it, and I am. I like it. I like it all the way through. I love her voice. I like the song. I do too. I do too. Um, I think it's that thing like with some of my favorite artists, like let's take Neil Finn, for example. You know, when he releases new music, I always go, ah, that's not as good as the last thing. But then upon further listens, there's yes. it's like an onion, there are layers, and then that becomes my new favorite thing. And then the process repeats itself. The next time he puts that out, it's like, oh, that's okay. It's not as good as that last thing. Well, you just need to live with it a little bit, but... What I like about this piece is that, yeah, Adele, you know, um, got Spotify to kind of immediately change a policy, which is pretty cool. Right. But Lady Gaga had complained about it before, mm-hmm. and it wasn't yep. addressed. And and here's her tweet. She said, we don't create albums with so much care and thought into our track listing for no reason. Yeah. Right? That's what she wrote on Twitter. Our art tells a story, and our story should be listened to as we intended. Thank you, Spotify, for listening. And Spotify tweeted back, anything for you. <laughs> yeah. 
And then they, and they kind of, uh, and then it says a Spotify spokesman told Mashable, audio, as we were saying, Auto Shuffle will, would soon be removed from, for all albums on the premium paid version mm-hmm. of the platform. And then right. they say, as Adele mentioned, we are excited to share that we have begun rolling out a new premium, fe- premium feature that has long been requested by both users and artists to make play the default button on all albums. They said, for those users still wishing to shuffle an album, they can go to the now playing view and select the shuffle toggle. As always, we will continue to iterate our products and features to create the best experiences for both artists and their fans. Thank you, PR department, for crafting that. Yes. (laughs) Well, it shouldn't be by default that it's shuffled. That should be something that you make a conscious choice to do because Let's face it, these albums are recorded and uh, sequenced in a certain way. They call it a tune stack, right? Mm -hmm. So the artist wants it that way. You know, you wouldn't take, um, you know, a concept album, you know, and and shuffle it. You know, like it's, it's intended to be in that order and that's what the artist wants. So that's the way I want to listen to it. Unless it's something like maybe a, a greatest hits compilation sure. or something, then yeah. and you're, you're tired of hearing it, you know, in the same order or whatever, you know, hit shuffle. But I think shuffle is great for me for playlists because otherwise you're going to listen to those first 15 that's songs right. over and over and over and over again. Right. That's so right. what I do is after I've listened to a playlist a few times, um, you know, if I'm not starting from where I left off, I'll hit shuffle and then that mm-hmm. way I'll get more out of it. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, it, it's whatever it, it, it is, uh, but I will say, <laughs> get back to Adele. What I, I mean, I obviously I, the, the craft with which that goes into her albums is fantastic. It's just not resonating with me. And, and again, but that is like you, if you spend time with, you do need to spend a, a lots of time with the record yeah. to, but it's to so have subjective it too, kind of, because, you know, um, some of the albums that you and I absolutely love and have, you know, uh, bonded over, not everybody feels the same. And that's sure. the great thing about music and art is, you know, some people aren't going to like it, but I think it's going to do pretty well. And I think I think she'll be okay. That's she's right. not going to be in the food line. You know, she soon. is not. Well, and and let's not forget, you know, we, we've worked with so many artists over the years. And as you said, it is a lot of time is spent um, organizing and creating the flow of the album. And every artist that I've ever worked spends a lot of time thinking about that. And and again, yeah. this is this is really the way that they should have at least a say in how it's presented. And so in this, in this, yeah, without a doubt. So, all right, well, there you go for Mashable. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was, uh, it's, it's fun. And that's by the, uh, Allison Foreman uh, wrote that by the way. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. it's, it's, I, I just kind of cracked up at, at Spotify's, you know, sort of canned corporate response, <laughs> but whatever. I just love that they acted fast. Yeah. That's uh, me too. Me too, me too, me too, me yeah. too. Yes. All right, let's jump up to the next one. This is from Chartmetric, uh, from playlists yeah. to mailing lists with Aileen Crowley. And I'm yes. going to pull that up right now. Well, while you do that, it says, you know, this was uh, by Rud- Rutger uh, Rosenborg, you know, from uh, Chartmetric. And, and it was, but it's really based on this podcast, um, How Music Charts. And uh, we've got to give a shout out to Jason, who helped uh, Rutger with this and kicks it off and did a really good job. Aileen Crowley, you know, former VP of Global Streaming Marketing at Universal. Um, she discusses playlist promotion, fan con- conversion, and why artists need a holistic approach 
uh, to their music marketing strategies. And you know what I loved about this is that I found myself nodding as I'm listening to the yes. podcast. I'm like, yep, that's exactly right. It's, it's, all, these are so many things that um, we tell people um, all the time. Um, and I think the key takeaway from this article, and we can dig into it a little bit, she says that, um, and I quote, I think the focus needs to shift from the playlist to the mailing list. And what I mean by that is capturing the fans. There has to be a holistic marketing approach for an artist. And if you're trying to build a career or story for an artist, it needs to be more than just one song. That's key. There has to be a bigger story than just the moment it had on TikTok. And, uh, I, I couldn't agree with her more. Um, I love the way that she's just not looking at this. You know, we call it a playlist is not a marketing plan, right? Yep. We have coffee mugs and T-shirts made that say that because it's so important to look at the things that um, Aileen is talking about holistically and looking at um, building that audience. And we'll get into that in a second. I did want to point out that uh, prior to, uh, you know, that that gig at Universal, she was general manager at Digson. And we've talked about Digson and, and Digmark on the show because they were really groundbreaking uh, companies. Um, for example, um, uh, Jay Frank, uh, he, God rest his soul, um, he, he started these companies um, back when there weren't really digital uh, labels. And when you and I worked together, I started a digital label at Mm -hmm. Universal back in, gosh, 2004. And at that time, I was meeting with Jay Frank, and we were talking about some of these things. And he was really on the cutting edge of that, and so was she. So I wanted to point that out. Yeah, Um, absolutely. uh, Yeah, other than a playlist as a marketing plan, I wanted to point out that um, we tell people all the time, that there's not a ton of revenue in sales and streams, but there is revenue uh, at every level for an artist in sync, publishing, merch, you know, live performance, live streaming, experiences, and premium offers. And I think that's what Aileen is alluding to here is that you have to take that holistic approach to all of it. And she talks a lot about data, which Absolutely. you know is near and dear to my heart. Well, I, as I was reading and listening to it, I, I, I of course was thinking of you. And she says the underpinning of it all is data. That was always what was driving our decisions, our strategy from the beginning, from from those early days of getting the data back on what was being downloaded the most. That hasn't changed. That continues to be the current running through everything that we've done and things that I continue to do. Data has always been at the forefront of the decisions we're making. Yeah. And that just nails it. You know, it's, yeah. it's you, the data is there and you can get it now. It's so, you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about this, you know, in the early days of, of all of this analyzation of stuff that was coming in. Um, it was like revolutionary and, and, but it, it was, it was not available to everybody. It is available to everybody now. And it's yeah. so important, um, to, I would to only add to her, let it drive your decisions basically. Yeah. Sorry. I would only add to her, um, data that we look at, um, in addition to what she's talking about, we look at four, um, data points four metrics. One is engagement, you know, mm-hmm. not just you know, likes and follows, but actual engagement. We also look at spikes in the data, either up or down, and then try to find out what caused it. And if it's up, is it something that's replicatable, if that's a word? Source of stream is is certainly really important on the streaming side. And then, you know, we've talked a lot about smart URLs. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so much fan behavior 
metrics, uh, data that you can get from that and use to inform your decisions. So just, just an incredible, um, interview, um, with Aileen Crowley and how she simplifies these things, um, and how important things like track saves and website visits and mailing list signups. She stresses that because you own the fan then, right? You're not disintermediated. Remember that word? Um, you've got, you know, that (laughs) direct, um, line, and it's, it's far more effective than socials where you're only reaching a small percentage of your audience. Yeah. Well, it's, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, it's very, um, you, you can understand how people don't pay attention. You know, it's, it's kind of like, what, what is the movie where it's squirrel, where it's like squirrel and you, you, it's, you have all these things Up. that you're, you're, you're looking at as an artist or, or someone who's working with artists and, and it's kind of easy to get distracted. Um, but I think, you know, that's certainly what I've learned from hanging out with you in a lot of these things is that you've got you to be focused on the, you know, the, the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators, and don't, don't stray from that and don't stray from the overall long-term strategy. But, you know, it's, it's hard for lots of people to kind of focus on that. I mean, that's your, that is your bag without a doubt. Um, yeah. But, you know, as, as she says, you have to look at the data. And if you don't have the song, if you don't have the music, then you can't build a career and you can't fake the data right there. Yeah. You can't fake it's, the data. Yeah. It's, it's really great uh, advice and information again um, from uh, our friends over at Chartmetric. Uh, really great interview with uh, Aileen Crowley. I encourage you to check it out. Yeah, the next one up, by the way, Jay, is uh, from Billboard. You know, we've we've talked a lot about all these things brewing in the UK, and it's like, well, what's the next little shoe to drop over there? And uh, here we are. This is from Billboard. Uh, the UK proposes law demanding record labels pay artists for more streams. Oh, 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 that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. we've been talking about um, all of the conversations they're having in the UK. They're a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to, you know, uh, bringing it before Parliament and, you know, looking for um, just ways to take the revenue that's brought in and, and fairly remunerate, there's that word again, you know, songwriters. You know, the uh, there was a bill... Um, this uh, Copyright Rights and Remuneration of Musicians bill, you know, that was published uh, last Wednesday, and it will be presented to uh, Parliament on December 3rd by uh, Kevin Brennan. So, you know, this is the guy that, you know, crafted this, and his bill would obligate record companies to pay performers equitable remuneration when music is streamed, a similar statutory rate that exists in the UK for TV and radio, where uh, performers receive 50% of the revenues um, distributed by the collecting society. Um, And you and I have really dug into this several times, but it bears repeating, you know, that DSPs typically pay out right around 70% of the revenue that's taken in. So they're keeping around 30%. And then, you know, 55% is paid to the rights holders, which is typically the record companies. And then if you're signed to one of those record companies, a typical deal might be between 15 and 25% of that goes to you. So you can see how it gets kind of whittled down Mm -hmm. uh, over time. And then the amount that goes to um, songwriters uh, via publishers you know, that's still in litigation, but what they're pushing for is uh, 15% uh, to go to them. So, 
it's just a it's kind of a shell game now. You need to move the dollars around and no one's going to be happy, right? You've got the record companies on one side, those are the rights holders. You've got the publishers and songwriters, and then you have the DSPs. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to give up their their revenue, but no. someone's going to have to. That's right. You'll be shocked to hear this, Jay. Uh, While artists and songwriters groups have welcomed reforms to the streaming economy, record labels and rights holders reacted harshly on Wednesday to the new bill. Industry groups argue that equitable remuneration would impact their ability to negotiate competitive deals with streaming services on behalf of artists and would greatly reduce the amount of money they would have to invest in new artists' marketing and A&R. Uh, the bill yeah. would bind yeah. British music and red tape, reduce the income for most entrepreneurial artists, stifle investment and innovation by record labels, and disproportionately harm the independent sector, says a spokesperson for labels, uh, uh, trade body yeah. BPI, which represents all three major labels and many independents. Uh, it completely misunderstands today's music business, says the BPI, and the value that labels provide in finding and nurturing talent. Yeah, I would only argue with, I mean, you're going to hear these arguments from all three of those groups that I mentioned, but one of the thing that's, things that's often left out is that sometimes they don't take into account the uh, the stock value of some of these companies um, mm-hmm. because of... That's right this uh, repertoire. So they're just looking at the EBITDA, right? Yes. Uh, The earnings, just the raw earnings before tax and appreciation and all of that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week or so um, with this proposed bill. You know, it's going to go to the House of Commons and, you know, if it passes that, you know, it goes to a committee stage before going through to the House of Lords. So it's a little bit different than how we do things in the United States. Just maybe it's just called different things. Um, But if this does go into effect, I think it's going to make some major shockwaves throughout the industry. And we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like like we've kind of talked about a lot of... you know, all of these things, when ch- change happens, usually not in a, an entirely dramatic fashion, but kind of the, the just the chipping away, you know, it's just kind of like, will that change? I don't know. Um, but I, it's there's lots of kind of proposals to start chipping away and changing things. Um, yeah. And we will stay on top of it for you folks, because, you know, watch this space, as uh, Rachel Maddow says, because it's it's heating up. It is, and it's, you know, you can just, well, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on it without a doubt, and this is not the, the last time we're going to be chatting about it, so we will keep you all uh, apprised of changes and things, but... It's. I mean, I'm. I'm kind of smiling as as you as you as you read these articles and and the kind of the volley back and forth from labels and from, in this case, yep. government government bodies. And uh, by the way, that article was Richard, Richard Smirk for for Billboard. So thank you, uh, Richard. Yes, indeed. Yep. Thank you, Richard. And our last story of the day, Jay from Symphonic. How to support your music career with YouTube? Have you ever heard of YouTube, Jay? This it's it's oh a, my a rather large behemoth in music. Yeah. And How many times have we said on this show that the number yes. one streaming service is not Spotify, uh, streaming service for music, it's YouTube. Um, they have 1.86 billion users worldwide. And by the way, this, this piece came um, from Symphonic, and they have a whole series of all of these great uh, articles to help you optimize across all channels. 
um, Randall Foster, uh, Jeanette Berrios, you know, their team over there, they are world-class and you should follow the symphonic blog. If you don't already, um, just so much great, uh, advice and, um, their knowledge base. It's just, it's phenomenal. So the headline here is how to support your uh, music career with YouTube. And there's so many things that you can do um, to optimize for YouTube and to connect and engage your fans. It shouldn't be that place you just go drop your video and, and ignore. Um, There's so many things to do uh, over at YouTube and, and they, they point some of them out in this article. Yeah, plan and promote your next tour. They certainly and you know you you being the data guy, um, as they say, YouTube offers detailed analytics to help you decide where oh, to go yeah. on tour, what music to play, how to promote it before the big day, um, and and this is again something that has uh, you know every DSP and everything. They're 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 tools for users. It's pretty stunning what, what you can what you can parse out of all of the information that's yeah. out there. Yeah, and they even show you by video, you know, what the viewing habits are on your video. And after you've done that a few times, you can kind of get a sense uh, at that kind of decay curve because most people won't watch a whole video. Nobody has the attention span anymore. Wow, isn't that interesting? So, and you get paid after it hits that 30-second mark. And so you're really watching, you know, did anybody drop off before that 30? And then you kind of see it start dropping down. And you can see some of your videos that overperform and some that underperform. But to your point, just looking at um, the analytics uh, on your YouTube is is crucial to your business and and as i'm reading the youtube stuff and of course you know you and i talk a lot about uh, you know the behemoth that youtube is what is your you know as being a, a real uh, data analyzer what is your kind of priority list when you're looking and working with an artist does it start with youtube does it start with spotify in what order do you kind of start looking at stuff yeah youtube is usually number one um, right uh, the the various streaming services that's that's important, but you can have uh, great engagement. You know, the two calls to action um, that we typically um, employ are subscribe to my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and uh, you know follow me on Spotify. So you're dropped into Discover Weekly, Release Radar, Radio, that sort of thing. Um, YouTube also has a lot of different ways to monetize that other platforms don't. And in this article, they point out that the first step to monetization, you know, um, is to join the YouTube partner program. And they talk to you about that. Now, in order to be eligible for the YouTube partner program, the channel must have a thousand subscribers and receive 4,000 watch hours in the previous 12 months. But um, that's not a super high bar. Um, Also, upgrading to an official artist channel, you know, um, that's really important too. You know, YouTube is now combining the topic channel and, you know, uh, all of these different channels into one place, which makes it uh, super easy, you know, for fans to find, uh, find your stuff. And, you know, they have a video on here about official artist channels that you can watch if you're not familiar with it. But those are some of the things that are really important because at some point you'll want to uh, generate advertising revenue um, on these videos on your channel. But Absolutely. I would argue that there's so much more to that engagement. You know, um, YouTube has kind of a social network built in. You know, when you're doing a release cadence for music, you should have a release cadence for video. And, you know, that intro video, when you go to your YouTube uh, channel, you can set a couple of videos there, one for 
people who have never been to the, your page before and then the one for returning visitors and you can take your videos and make them into playlists and when we talk about videos people think of concept videos but you we also have to talk about things like pseudo videos or mm -hmm. art tracks it's the same thing it's just the album art and then the audio bed those things generate a lot of spins and listens then you have things like lyric videos and teaser videos and all sorts of different uh, behind the scenes and unwrapping and live and you know stripped down acoustic and there's so many different types of videos that you can generate playlists from those different videos and and really engage with those fans that visit you on YouTube and and then the last thing I'll say on it is you know that right rail I think you get like 75 80% of spins on that right rail meaning that if somebody's watching a video it'll serve up something from that right rail yeah. and <clears throat> the more you optimize uh, for YouTube, the more you're going to show up in that right rail. Well, and then I also, this this article mentioned, which I always forgot about, is uh, did you know that with YouTube's Creator Academy, you can take courses on this topic and more to sharpen your skills. Uh, with them, you can learn at your own pace, and once you pass, at least 75%. Anyway, you can, there, there are also tools to just learn about the tools, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And, and uh, which is great because it's, overwhelming or it can be overwhelming i know you 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 swim in these waters all the time but if, if you're not used to that it's uh it's nice to have the opportunity to have some of these little courses where you can kind of learn oh, about you, the different youtube is so big on training uh up before the pandemic they had these creator spaces and i know they kind of took them offline for a while i'm not sure if they're bringing them back i'll have to look but these creator spaces in like uh, a dozen different markets around the world mm -hmm. uh, the one in los angeles um i went and you know had the training there and when you reach 10,000 subscribers you can use that for free in the yeah. smaller rooms and then as you get more and more subscribers you can use bigger and bigger rooms but you can use their video equipment their editing bays their i mean they have world-class um, equipment there. You just have to bring in the people to operate it. And there's a few rules and regulations, but you know, imagine dragons have done videos there. It's yeah. They're so good at helping to educate and then giving you the tools that you need to, you know, make uh, great quote unquote content for, for YouTube. And here in Los Angeles, that's in the old Howard Hughes building down by LAX, down by the airport. So it's a kind of a historical locale as well. So, I mean, again, they are they are the big dog without a doubt in the in the space, and it's just so many ways to maximize it as an artist. And yeah. whether you are the artist or you're working with artists, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the if you heard Jay, approximately 1.86 billion users worldwide. So go to where the party is, my friend. That's right. Yeah. You had me at billion. Um, yeah. <laughs> very impressive. Yeah. So, Jay, as we kind of wrap up, we have to end with the Beatles get back. Uh, oh the documentary. It's on Disney Plus. How did I've we only made to mention that. I've got the first I, I've, I watched the first one, uh, the first night, which was two hours and 36 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's it's a deep dive and in many in many ways it's hard to watch you know they were my takeaway is you know they were they were pretty rudderless at, at the beginning yeah, of this after Brian Epstein died you know their manager and they even say that in the documentary they they knew that they were rudderless you know it wasn't yeah. the same he he provided a bit of discipline uh for the boys and um first of all and they dismissed oh, George Martin from this project, too. So they didn't have George Martin. Uh, Brian Epstein had passed away. And so you could just tell that they were just really kind of like not 
you know, not, not on the same page or just not, yeah. not gelling. And it's, in many ways, it's hard to watch. But you, yeah, but you see these moments of brilliance, you know, when, you know, Paul starts working on a song and you know oh, where it's yes. going to end up and yes. you see that kind of magic happen. And still it wasn't as depressing, um, as, you know, let it be. There is some joy in there, but you know, they had a hidden microphone on the table and overheard a conversation between John and Paul and, you know, about George who had, you know, basically just quit the band and mm-hmm. there, there, some of it is a little difficult to watch, but the quality of the video, the quality of the audio, and then to get to see some of the stuff we've never seen before. And there are some moments of, of joy, but it's, as you said, it's a deep dive. It is a deep dive, yeah. And uh, if you're not, if you're not a, a, a kind of a Beatles freak, but one of the things that that is that really is great is is the way that Peter Jackson has kind of provided context and kind of done, done it in a timeline. So you see, you know, how it's happening and when it's happening, and it really uh, kind of puts it in perspective a little bit about about why they were rushed. And how rushed they were. Yeah, and, you can see uh, the calendar, right? And they oh, cross yeah, off yes, the days. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I'm looking forward to two and three. And um, uh, if if you are a Beatles freak like Jay and I are, it is uh, you you will watch it with a smile on your face, without yes. a doubt. So yep. on that note, let us wrap it up, Jay. It is uh, been fun to do episode number sixty eight. I'm going to go to the gym and try to work off some of this uh, stuff that I've been <sighs> eating over the last few days. Big thanks to TiVo, Music Metadata, Bandzoogle, Bands in Town, and Hypebot Boy. We sure appreciate that, and I we appreciate sure you, Jay. So I happy appreciate Thanksgiving. you. Very thankful. Let's call it a day. Folks, thanks for listening in. We appreciate you checking us out every week. And this has been episode number 68 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.